Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Spectator's Podcast. I'm Kate Andrews, The Spectator's Economics Editor. This podcast was recorded at Conservative Party Conference on the topic, What is Driving the Fraud Explosion? Fraud, by some margin, is the biggest crime in Britain. How did this spin out of control and who was responsible? To discuss all this and more, I was joined by Tom Tugendhat, the Minister for Security, Victoria Atkins, Financial Secretary to the Treasury, Bob Wigley, Chair of UK Finance, Richard Hyde, Senior Researcher for the Social Market Foundation, and Paul Davis, Fraud Director for TSB. The conference panel and this podcast were kindly sponsored by TSB. Um, I'm going to start with a few minutes of opening remarks from our ministers. Start with Tom, then Victoria. We'll go to our other panelists. Please, two to three minutes max, because I like to prioritize audience questions. Um, So be thinking of those from the very beginning. Uh, Tom, let's start with you. Thanks very much. Look, let me tell you why fraud comes under my brief as security minister. It may not be obvious why it should, but it does. The reason it does is because the overlap between fraud, state threats, and national security is actually very large. We see things like ransomware uh, using uh, fraudulent techniques to extract money from British businesses, to steal money out of British bank accounts, that is then recycled into paying foreign agents, paying terrorism, paying for drugs, paying for crime. So the overlap, I'm afraid, is quite large. Uh, And it really does mean that fraud for us is a national security issue. That's why it's my responsibility in the Home Office. And the comment about 40% tells you quite how large a problem this is. Most of it, of course, is not tens of thousands of pounds. Most of it is a few pounds here and there. But added up over 60, 70 million people in the United Kingdom, you can see how that adds up to a very serious challenge. And over the recent years, most of that has focused on how does the bank respond? How does the bank repay? How does the bank secure? The reality is our understanding that has changed. And it's changed because the truth is it's not just down to banks. The truth is it's down to a much wider environment of businesses and companies who have a responsibility. And here, let me be quite clear. There are some companies, one in particular, and you can guess what it is, but there are some companies that have a very particular responsibility for how fraud is active in our country, in our community. And just for the avoidance of doubt, we are incredibly aware that some social media companies, some tech companies, have a very particular responsibility to change the way they act, to change the way they verify, and to change the way they secure transactions on their sites. We are very aware that their decisions have a very immediate effect on British people, on British families, and on British companies. And we are watching very carefully to see the decisions they take before making decisions of our own to influence what they may have to do. Mm. Um, Just before I move to Victoria, Tom, we wouldn't dare ask you to name the company. I might just note that according to UK Finance, Meta slash Facebook is thought to be responsible for about half of the scams perpetuated in Britain. Do you think that we... It's a very interesting statistic. It's an interesting statistic. (laughs) Totally separate from from your remarks. Do you think the responsibility is um, shared fairly at the moment? Um, And can you very quickly talk us through some ways in which you might rebalance where responsibility lies? Now, many of you may not know this, but I am not the real Kate Butch. I know this is a surprise to many of you who've been on Twitter recently, uh, but I'm not on uh, Drag UK. That said, I am quite active on Instagram, uh, despite not being a drag star. And uh, one of the things that I see on Instagram a lot is advertising for foreign exchange. Uh, I don't do a lot of foreign exchange. It's not, a, it's not a huge part of my life. But somehow or other, I seem to be advertised constantly ways of trading money, exchanging you know, dollars for gold and things like that. It doesn't matter how many times I click that they're spam. I still seem to be getting hundreds and hundreds of adverts a year included in random chat groups, sometimes that include you, Vicky, actually. I, I notice other MPs are sometimes included, um, oh, other colleagues are sometimes included, including actually random people I've never met before. The level of spam on social media demonstrates to me that this is something that some companies are not taking seriously. Because it's quite clear to me 
that when international artists or major film companies want to close down copyright infringements on sites, YouTube responds very quickly. When there was pornography on sites, companies responded very quickly. Somehow, somehow, and I know this is extraordinary, foreign exchange transactions seem to be much harder to stop than copies of music or copies of film. I'll just leave that there. Victoria. Well, hello, uh, Spectator, and thank you to The Spectator, and also to, to TSB for hosting this, because TSB, I know, is doing a great deal of work uh, not just on tackling fraud, but also, importantly, tackling economic abuse, which uh, is something I know I hope, uh, is, he, that TSB knows is very close to my ministerial heart. Um, so I'm here as the Financial Secretary to the Treasury. It's one of those uh, titles that are... It tends to be pretty impenetrable, much like the Treasury itself. Uh, what it means is I'm the minister responsible for the UK tax system. Uh, and in particular, I'm the lead minister for HMRC. I'm sure we all have very fond associations with HMRC, and I will try to bolster those fond associations this morning. Uh, but the reason I'm here is actually to talk about the other half of the equation that government is looking at when the issue of fraud uh, is raised. Tom is, has a laser-like focus on consumer fraud, how we as individuals are affected by fraud. But I'm here to talk about tax fraud, uh, because tax fraud hurts each and every one of us. Uh, the less tax HMRC is able to collect, the more pressure that puts on our public services and the more difficult questions that uh, poses for us as Treasury Ministers when it comes to fiscal events. Uh, and just to put this in context, last year HMRC collected 814 billion pounds of tax. That pays for everything we care about. And it's a, an absolute bedrock, a the foundational stone, if you like, of our free and democratic society. Because if we don't have a safe and stable and functioning tax system, much as we don't like paying tax, but if we don't have that tax system, then we do not, cannot have the rule of law, we cannot have freedom, and we cannot have democracy. And I say that because, I, again, a theme of this conference I hope that you're hearing from ministers is that we need to stop being quite so hard on ourselves and we need to look out and see how the rest of the world views us. And I tell you what, the world watches what we do uh, as a tax collector, you know, as a tax collecting agency, but also the help that we're able to give developing economies in setting up their own stable and safe tax systems and they genuinely look at us with um, admiration and with thanks because we genuinely help developing economies to try to build that foundation so that they too can allow their democracies to flourish and thrive. So I come at it from that ministerial perspective but it's also personal for me because my background before I came into parliament I used to prosecute criminals for a living. Uh, towards the end of my career I specialised in prosecuting organised crime gangs, uh, and uh, we were very particular in the way that we treated these gangs. We, we couldn't... It was the Al Capone principle. We may not be able to get them on the drugs and the guns and the murders, but we could follow the money, and follow the money we did. Uh, and uh, we brought down, uh, I say we, law enforcement, uh, team of counsel and lawyers, we brought down many, many very, very bad people. We got them on the tax fraud or we got them on the money laundering, but we knew behind the scenes there was an awful lot more to their criminal enterprises. So this, uh, uh, this discussion is something I genuinely think we as a society should be having, as I say, not just in terms of the consumer focus, but importantly on the tax focus. Uh, and to give you a little sense of what we're trying to achieve in government, um, we have, I'm again happy to say, internationally, one of the smallest tax gaps in the world. What is a tax gap to anyone who's not a, an accountant? Well, it's the difference between the amount of tax that we as a country theoretically should collect and the tax that we actually do collect. Uh, and our tax gap has fallen since the heydays of 7.9%-ish uh, in the uh, dark, doomy days of the last Labour government, we've cracked it down to 4.8% in the most recent figures. That is a very, very significant uh, drop, but it's also internationally 
uh, a really, um, it, it's not that any tax gap is good, but it's as pretty good compared to our uh, competitors and equivalent economies. And the reason for that is, first of all, I think most people understand that part of our social contract is paying our taxes and paying them on time. Uh, but also, uh, if people either make mistakes or if they step over the line into the world of uh, trying to commit fraud, trying to uh, evade tax, then HMRC uh, has a very, very well-established plan for both tackling that in the civil courts but also, where necessary, in the criminal courts. But to give you an idea, I mean, I went to, we have various facilities around the country where our law enforcement teams are, uh, and the, the complexity of some of these frauds that these OCGs are deploying against the revenue are truly mind-blowing. And so what we need to do is to get, what we're trying to do is to get earlier in the um, stream of the fraud, uh, either to prevent it at the very outset or to be able to intervene at an earlier stage than perhaps we're uh, managing at the moment. And as Tom rightly says... It is, it is getting more and more complex with the uh, arrival of, if you like, social media into this field because many of you will be aware of, for example, the challenges we have with research and development tax credits. These are amazing tax credits that help to support businesses around the country meet it, you know, meeting all of the ambitions that the Prime Minister and the Chancellor have for the industries of the future in our country. Um, these tax credits are a critical part of that. But we know that they're under attack. Uh, and they're under attack not just from organised criminal attack, but they're under attack from uh, people who pop up on Instagram and suggest to pub landlords that they might be able to get a research and development tax credit for, and I promise you this is a genuine case, discovering avocado. Uh, extraordinary. So we're trying, we've got a lot of practical measures that are coming, uh, either coming into force over the coming months or have already just come into force to try to stop... Uh, the way in which those uh, repayment agents and other agents are uh, seeking to behave on, in, on the internet. But um, this is an absolute critical discussion to have, and I, just ha I hope it's going to be a really interesting discussion, because, as I say, the consumer side of things is, of course, incredibly important to each and every one of us, but the tax side of things is actually equally important, but perhaps a little more hidden from view, because, as I find, whenever the word tax is mentioned, it tends to be a conversation killer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Victoria. Paul? Thank you. Well, I'm really pleased to be here from TSB Bank and to be part of this session talking about the fraud explosion. And we are in the middle of an epidemic in the UK of fraud impacting consumers. So at TSB, I am the custodian of our fraud refund guarantee, which we launched four and a half years ago, uh, which commits to reimbursing all innocent victims of uh, fraud. And in that time, we've refunded 97% of fraud claims. And uh, the treatment of victims is something that we're really passionate about at TSB. I, I think for me, though, the, the main thing, um, the thing that really drives me and that we should talk about today, actually, is not so much reimbursement. Um, it's prevention. Uh, at TSB, we're really proud to have played a part in helping the payment systems regulator uh, propose new rules, which will come into effect next year, that will start to see much greater levels of reimbursement across financial services firms for victims, and we think that's a good thing, uh, that innocent victims are put back in the place they should be in. But what we really need to be talking about is prevention, stopping this happening in the first place. And I think Tom's comments are really powerful in saying we need to think about this from an ecosystem perspective. There's no one group of people or firms who can stop fraud happening, and it's only going to be by working together at all parts of the chain that we'll be able to make a difference here. And the elephant in the room on this topic always for me is tech companies and the role that they play in facilitating fraud happening in the first place. And uh, I think that's such an important conversation we need to have in the UK to think about what more we need to do to incentivise those companies to do more to protect uh, UK consumers. So I'm um, looking forward to the discussion today. Thank you, Paul. Um, Richard. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Thank you to the spectator and TSB for asking uh, asking me to be on the on this panel today. Um, I think Kate mentioned a couple of uh, sort of questions at the beginning. Um, sort of uh, how did how did fraud spin out of control? Uh, so I'll have a quick go at uh, at that one, and then uh, who's responsible as well uh, for it spinning out of control? So I have a quick go at that one as well. Um, I mean, in terms of um, how it's spun out of control, I mean, I think there are. A whole host of factors, but I th um, for us, um, we just uh, recently published a, 
a report um, looking at fraud. Um, and um, you know, so the main one is probably the technological change we've all experienced over the last few decades and the fact that that has opened up new opportunities for criminals and also lowered the barriers to, to entry for criminals really, made it really quite easy for criminals to, um, to get into the, the criminal market, if you like. I think uh, an advantage of ours normally in commercial uh, terms is, uh, is our English language, but actually in fraud, it actually becomes a bit of a... Um, Bit of an issue. It means we're, we're, we're easier to target than um, countries that speak slightly more, uh, le less popular languages. Um, and I think uh, another one, uh, perhaps the other third big one, is um, uh, the fact that the issue was ignored for quite a long time, I think, by, uh, by successive, uh, successive governments. I mean, it's not easy to tackle, um, it's, and, uh, but uh, it's, it's sort of always been a low priority, I think, uh, to date. Um, and in terms of who's responsible for it getting into this situation, well, I think we've heard uh, from uh, the other panelists that actually there's, again, a whole, whole load of people, a whole load of organizations that are, uh, that have, I guess, not played their role in, uh, in trying to tackle fraud as it's uh, slowly grown over the last decade or so. Um, and in our, in our report, we sort of pitched this as a, there's a, a collective action problem going on. Um, so all the organizations in the fraud chain, the public and private sector, the incentives are not in line for them to sort of take the action uh, collectively that will, um, that will enable us to make a big dent in the, in the current fraud uh, problem. But Thank you. And Bob? Well, thanks very much for having me. Um, great to be part of this, this panel. Um, just by way of introduction, I'm Bob Wigley, Chairman of UK Finance. We represent uh, the banking and finance sector in the UK. But in this context, I sit on something called the Economic Crime Strategic Board with the <coughs> Chancellor, Home Secretary uh, and Tom, uh, trying to help um, law enforcement in the UK and all the agencies work out how best to tackle uh, fraud. And uh, Vicky, I also sit on something called the J5, which is a... Uh, group of, of heads of tax enforcement from the Five Eyes Nations, uh, where we're trying to bring what we know and have learned from the sort of anti-fraud space into uh, tax evasion, so trying to help you there too. Um, so my members see this as a most urgent problem, uh, and with, uh, with good cause, um, Tom quoted the 40% uh, the of all crime in the UK is now economic crime figure. I mean, the other figure that some people will be aware of is that even on a good day, I wouldn't think more than 2% of police spending is on fraud. So, and that's not a criticism of the police. I'm a great supporter of the police. We work very closely with the police, as I'll explain in a minute. It's an accident of history that this, 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 this new crime, in a way, has grown so quickly, and the police um, have, have uh, struggled to keep up, if I can put it that way. Um, but I would say, as a result of that, that actually the banks in the UK are the nation's fraud police. That's the way we see it. Um, and Tom mentioned, um, although the individual amounts are quite small, uh, we know it adds up to 1.2 billion that was stolen uh, through this, this, uh, this activity last year. It might be a relatively small amount, but for that individual, it's horrendous. It has not just potentially, if you lose part of your pension or part of your savings, it's horrendous for you. And it has psychological impacts, not just the obvious uh, monetary ones. So it's something we've all got to get behind and try and stop. Um, one of the things I'd like to see is use slightly different language. Uh, we talk about fraud, and I think to most people in the street, fraud sounds like something very complicated that sort of people in suits in big companies do. We're actually just talking about very grubby online theft. That's really what it is. Mm. So I'd like to sort of start using that kind of language because I think people in the, in the street would understand better what we're talking about. So my, my, uh, the sector I represent and my members are right in the front line of, of tackling this issue. Um, we actually operate something called the DCPCU. I won't bore you with the acronym, but essentially what it is is a group of police, largely from the Metropolitan City London Police, who are fraud experts that we pay for. Uh, they work in our offices, and we combine the intelligence that uh, financial intelligence officers in banks accumulate through uh, monitoring activity in bank accounts and looking at credit card activity with what the National Crime Agency and the other agencies know, and then we try and go and target serious organized crime gangs. So every day we'll be sending police out to raid premises, recover uh, stolen credit cards, more credit card numbers, take laptops and mobiles, and go and bust up uh, these serious organized credit, uh, crime gangs. And as Victoria rightly said, when you do go and do that, you don't just find credit card 
you know, issues. You find, uh, uh, you find drug trafficking, you find, you know, you're right in the middle of county lines and all sorts of uh, even more horrible and nefarious activity. So it's a really important thing that we do in partnership um, with the police. Um, this year, to pick up on the, the point colleagues have made about um, uh, uh, online, online theft specifically, we published data for the first time showing where these scams are uh, originating. And it's probably no surprise to anybody in the room that about 80% of scams emanate on a big tech online platform. Uh, it's either telecoms or it's, or it's uh, social media. So how do we tackle that? So I think there are four or five things we can do together. One is better education. So we, for example, run something called Take Five to Stop Fraud. Uh, it's, it's the simple concept. You'll see it probably on bus stops, on your bank statements. If you take money out of an ATM, you should see our Take Five to Stop Fraud campaign everywhere. Basically, what it's saying to you is if someone asks you for your personal data, a PIN number or an access code, don't give it to them, or at least stop for five minutes and think, should I be giving it to this person? And if you're in any doubt, just stop. And that's been quite effective. We do that in coordination with the Home Office uh, and actually we're starting to get the social media companies involved with us in improving uh, the design of that scheme and indeed in, in, in part to try and fund it so we can expand it. Um, the second thing, of course, is legislation. Good news here, we've recently had some good progress, both with the online safety bill, where some elements of fraud will now be included in the responsibilities that big tech companies have uh, to their consumers and customers, and, of course, the economic crime uh, and transparency bill, where, for the first time, uh, banks will be better able to share information with each other and with law enforcement in real time. I would say that over the last few years, we've been fighting these criminals with both arms tied behind our backs. Uh, now it's only one. Uh, as a result of this bill, we'll definitely make improvements, um, but there's still further we can, uh, more we can do. Um, you mentioned the uh, APP uh, process where the payment systems regulator is consulting at the moment. Uh, all I would say on that is we, we, are, we ourselves, as a trade association, have pushed uh, to make uh, a, a fraud reimbursement compulsory uh, because uh, at the moment it's voluntary and not everyone's signed up to it. I do think, though, that there is a fine balance between a compulsory scheme of reimbursement and still insisting that um, consumers have some responsibility for their own behaviour. I don't think it's a good idea to put in place a scheme where whatever happens... So, for example, if you have shared your PIN with someone and they have stolen your money, is it right that in those circumstances, in effect, the shareholders of a bank are paying to reimburse you when you've really not taken responsibility for your own um, personal information? So I think that's the balance we need to, to strike, and that conversation is going on live as we, sp uh, as we speak. Um, so uh, final point, I think, is just to pick up on the, on the online issue. We do need to see very substantially more... Um, uh, activity from the online uh, from the online big tech platforms. What are we doing about that? We're doing a lot. So there's a thing called the Online Fraud Steering Group, which is run by us, the National Crime Agency, and Tech UK, which is the trade association that represents the big tech platforms. That has sub-working groups looking at different aspects of fraud. So, for example, we're looking at what, how we can teach them to spot and stop uh, mule account uh, operators. Uh, and we're looking at purchase fraud, which is the biggest single uh, source of online theft in the UK. Um, personally, uh, I'd like to see uh, these companies uh, have further responsibilities. So in a later iteration of the online safety bill, maybe we can push more onto them. So that, so that like regulated banks, they have a very clear responsibility to stop fraud at source, because that's what we need to do. And secondly, I'd like to see them picking up some of the bill. At the moment, uh, the banking sector basically pick, picks up the bill for reimbursement and also pays an economic crime levy, which funds some of the activities of the Home Office in this area. And we have no problem with that, but we would like to see uh, the place where 80% of these frauds emanate uh, join in that endeavour, because unless they have that economic incentive, in the end, these profit-driven companies will not uh, really embrace the problem. Um, so I think I'll stop there, but that's, kind of, that's my two-penny worth on the subject. Thank you so much, Bob. Um, Tom, I know we only have a few minutes left with you, so I'm going to ask you a few questions, then I'll abuse my position, ask the panel a few more questions, but we're going to get to the audience very quickly. Um, Bob just described banks as the UK's fraud police. That doesn't speak too well to the policing that's actually being done by the public sector to tackle this issue, does it? Well, Bob's absolutely right for the past. What we're doing is we're making, difference, uh, we're making a difference now, and what Bob and I have been working on recently, actually, is the fraud charter that we brought out and the fraud strategy that we brought out. 
uh, alongside uh, a fantastic colleague of ours, Anthony Brown, who's the Ford champion. He's been absolutely brilliant on this. And Bob and I have been involved in bringing together tech companies around the table at number 10 and working together on setting up a new national fraud squad, which is 400 new officers actually working on this together. So Bob is absolutely right that the banks have been on the front line of policing this, but it's also true now that the police are changing the way that they act on this, and we're making sure that some of the best practice that we're seeing in the police is being shared. So, for example, Avon and Somerset Police Force, as Bob would tell you himself, has been a fantastic force in dealing with fraud. Now, as he correctly says, a lot of this is actually plain theft. It is just ordinary theft. It happens to be being done online. And so some forces are better at this than others. Avon and Somerset has been particularly good. Now, it's, you know, it wouldn't be a spectator event without lots of booze, and I can't believe it's 11.30 in the morning and there is so much gin and beer here. We offer it at every event, even and the morning I'm ones. <laughs> Apparently someone has had a gin and tonic. So oh, really? Good luck to you. That's, that's the kind of nice reader and subscriber we like to see. <laughs> Not my coffee. <laughs> um, but, Tom, quickly, quickly on, on this point as well. I mean... The, the amount of fraud has increased tenfold since 2012. Prosecutions have reduced by six, have fallen by 63%. Um, is, have the fraudsters just gotten quite good at what they do? Is it the huge movement, you know, everybody's online? Is it a resources issue? I mean, that's a, it's a huge gap there. So it's two things. One, it's recording of fraud has gone up. Mm -hmm. um, we think that fraud levels were higher before they just weren't recorded. So although it's certainly not a positive, actually better recording is important yes. to have better resources and better response. Secondly, uh, we all know that everybody moved online over COVID, and that actually increased uh, online fraud and online theft for everybody. And what we've seen is we've seen uh, better responses in, in the last year or two. What we're really beginning to make a difference on now is seeing that fraud is a particular, or online theft, I'm gonna use Bob's term for now, uh, online theft is uh, a particular crime group that hasn't been properly addressed. And often it's very difficult, and let's, just to, just to address some of your policing points, let's look at why this is difficult for the police. The reality is a huge amount of this originates overseas. Yeah. So very often the police force will be able to see the victim, they'll be able to give a crime number, they'll be able to discuss the offence. But the reality is you're talking about a boiler room scam in Romania, or you're talking about some sort of uh, fraudulent dealing on uh, Facebook marketplace based out of, I don't know, India or Singapore, yeah. wherever it happens to be, right? You're dealing with crimes that are actually taking place overseas, and very often for not huge amounts. And so it's very difficult for the police to act. Now, that's why the partnership that Bob is talking about and actually that Robin was talking about is so important, because actually what we need to see is we need to see the accountability, the responsibility uh, for actions being shared equally. And at the moment, the only organizations paying for these crimes is the banks, funnily enough. The banks, therefore, have introduced major security features uh, to stop fraud on their own platforms. We need to make sure that others are also sharing that burden so there is an incentive. My, my last question before we let you go, Tom. Uh, the government has pledged to reduce fraud by 10% by the end of next year. Is it on track to do so? We're doing very well. Anything else to say on there? Look, there's a long way to go. I mean, uh, we're, look, we're definitely... Can you give I me a, perc actually, a percentage, maybe? No, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to say is I am confident. I'm confident because we're finally getting the right people around the table. And this is something we, didn't, we hadn't done before the fraud strategy. It's been a while since we'd had a fraud strategy. And, you know, we've got, in the last few months, we've had huge support from Number 10. I have to say the Prime Minister has been absolutely committed on this. This is one of the things, uh, despite having been a, 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 a Chancellor, he wasn't defending them. He, he wasn't just looking to, to, to extract money from the banks. He was looking to support the whole of UK industry. And one of the ways he's looking to do that is to make sure that this burden is shared appropriately so that you get the correct response from uh, the public-private partnership, if you like, from the interaction between uh, the corporate and society. And what we've been getting from Number 10 is enormous amounts of support to get the right people around the table so that we're getting the right incentives. We've got the commitment to the extra policing. We've got the commitment to, the, uh, to making sure that the fraud uh, squads and the fraud units are taking this seriously. We've got a new national fraud intelligence unit. You know, we're getting a whole series of things up and running. We're in, on track to deliver. Um, I'm not going to give you percentages, but I'm, I'm pretty confident. So, Katie, if I can just give you one reason to, in support of Tom as to why I think he should have hope. Um, 
I think we are seeing a recognition in um, some of the less good big tech platforms that they're not operating at the same standard as some of their peers and competitors. So there are platforms that will not take um, an investment promotion advert for, let's say, um, a, a property scheme or an ex a foreign exchange was the one you mentioned, uh, from a company that's not registered with the FCA. There are others that do not do that. So that's a pretty basic thing that all the platforms could do. The second would be, you mentioned Marketplace, I'm not going to be specific about particular companies, but there are platforms where the platform does nothing to identify the person doing the advertising of a product. So, you know, I set up Bob Wiggly Dogs, I advertise a cockapoo, uh, I'm actually not British, my bank account is not in the UK, or if it is, the, the moment the money arrives from the purchaser of said cockapoo, that money whisks off abroad, to, to Tom's point. That could all be stopped uh, by the platform's identifying not just the identity of the person doing the advertising so they can come after them if the money disappears, but secondly, where they are to stop overseas online theft. So, and I, and I think I'm seeing a bit of a recognition among some of the platforms that maybe we're not operating in line with our peers and it's time to do something about it. So fingers crossed. And I think that's one reason that Tom has some hope that he might achieve Can his target. Pick up on, there, there is one very good example of this. And, you know, we can be critical of companies, but let's praise the ones that are doing well. Google took a decision a few years ago to stop any advertising for financial products that weren't FCA regulated. Fraud off Google went from a very large number to practically zero overnight. Mm. Companies have a very, very major impact on crime in our country and can make decisions that make it better. Thank you. Forgive me. Of course, thank you for joining us, Tom. Uh, Victoria, these numbers are tricky for the government because, Paul, come, come join me. Um, the government has quite a positive news story to share when it comes to crime um, in every other area. I mean, these numbers have been falling, and, and, and ministers will point this out, and, and the difficulty is in order to get those good figures, you have to remove the fraud figures. And they always say, you know, if we, if we put fraud to the side... But we can't put fraud to the side, mm. not, not least because, um, you know, this is a, a very likely way that your average person is going to be affected by crime in the UK. They're going to be victim of fraud. Yeah, and actually I think it chimes completely with what the Prime Minister has uh, talked about recently about um, making tough decisions for the long term. Uh, everybody knows if they've been a victim of a crime, if they've had their life savings stolen, if they've had... Uh, a mortgage fraud committed on them. They know that, and it seems to me it's the duty of government to be transparent about that, even though, you know, even if it's difficult to um, talk about the size of the problem, of course we should, because we then, it's only then we can address uh, measures as to how we can solve it. Uh, and I, I agree with Tom and, and Bob. I think, you know, there are many, many things we can do uh, and are doing as we, as we evolve, as our understanding of fraud in the 21st century with the huge impact and influence that social media and the, and, uh, the internet has, as our understanding of that evolves, um, you know, we will come up with answers. I mean, just to give you an example, on the, in the tax world, we consulted uh, this year on a new criminal offence for the promoters of tax avoidance. In other words, those people posting adverts on um, Instagram, badgering us all for, with tax avoidance schemes. We do that because even though we have a very, you know, we've got a great big category of criminal offences at our disposal, we've recognised that um, they may not fit the particular needs of the 21st century and the use of social media. Mm. Uh, and so the, the, this is just part of our programme. And in fairness, since 2010, we've introduced some 200 measures to tackle avoidance and evasion. And of course, we will continue to do that as criminal businesses, because that's what they are. They're very good businesses in the, you know, in the underworld uh, as they change their business patterns uh, to try and uh, extract more money from innocent people. Paul, can we talk a bit about industry standard here? Because Tom, before he left, said was talking about the important role companies have to play here. And TSB made a commitment to their customers earlier than than other banks to essentially reimburse um, in, in, in almost every circumstance. Um, but uh, I think Bob has also made the important point that um, everyone has a role to play here. Consumers have a role in being savvy and protecting their finances. Banks have a role in reimbursement. Private companies um, who are offering products and advertising products have a role in what they're advertising. Um, how much does industry, does industry and private business setting the standard matter? I think it plays a huge role. And financial services in particular 
are, are awash with standards that make a difference, a real difference on fall prevention. So long before reimbursement became a huge topic, um, there was FCA regulation on this matter. Um, payment schemes such as Visa, MasterCard, Pay UK had rules that banks had to follow. The payment systems regulator was another actor. And then UK Finance um, convened uh, a working group of major banks that rolled out best practice standards for dealing with scams, preventing them happening in the first place, and how to treat victims. All that has evolved over time. Uh, TSB has a refund guarantee now. Other big banks are signed up to a scheme called contingent reimbursement, which also covers the topic of um, treatment of victims. And, and through UK Finance, we have a huge number of forums as well where bankers, people like me, come together uh, and we talk about prevention and, and uh, tools and techniques and steps that we could all be taking. And I think all of that manifests itself in the huge rate of prevention which banks are able to achieve now. And in the six monthly reports that UK Finance publish, um, Bob's teams are reporting that about two-thirds of attempted fraud uh, on bank accounts is prevented now. Um, and that's through financial services companies like TSB and others uh, deploying these industry standards and latest technology to stop fraud. The trouble is, banks tend to get involved quite late. And when scams are happening these days, there's usually been a huge amount of social engineering in complex, sophisticated scams before the victim has even approached their bank. And so um, the, the criminals have got a bit of a head start on the bankers in this game because by the time the banks get involved, it's quite late in the day. We're trying to not just prevent a fraud, but we're, we're trying to unpick all that social engineering that's, that's gone on before. I do think minimum standards and industry collaboration has such a key role to play, and that's why it's so important that we deploy those tactics on other parts of the ecosystem, such as uh, tech. And I know there's work going into deploying a tech charter. We're really optimistic about that. And if we can get the wording of that charter right, I think it can really help to drag up standards across the industry. Um, my last question before we go to the audience, so get your hands ready, um, is about age profiles. I mean, this number shocked me. Um, Goldman Sachs uh, recently put out that despite being more likely to say that they're very technologically savvy, Brits under 34 are twice as likely to fall for financial scams. Now, I'm sure maybe um, uh, uh, other groups have put out different numbers, but I think we often think about online fraud um, as uh, online theft, to use your words, as something that's predominantly going to affect older generations. But that just isn't the case. It's affecting everybody. Maybe Richard and Bob want to weigh in here. Victoria and Paul, feel free. Then we'll go to the audience. Uh, yeah. So. I our, at the report we recently did, um, we did uh, we did some polling around victimisation, and um, while the differential was not as high as Goldman Sachs found, yeah, there's there's a relatively even we found a relatively even distribution among age age groups mm. um, in terms of victimisation, which I think yeah, the, the stereotype is that it's older people who are who are, who are less tech savvy, but that's that doesn't that doesn't seem to be borne out. At all, what we did find about older people was the amount they tend to lose tends to be a bit higher. Right. But um, yeah, in terms of levels of victimisation, it was it was fairly evenly spread. I don't yeah, know because I haven't seen any data, but I suspect yeah. if youngsters uh, are more likely to be defrauded, it's probably because they spend more time online where the fraudsters hang out, yep. rather than that they are, you know, as it were, disposed differently. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know because we don't have any data, I don't think. And I think one, one of the um, uh, good points about reframing this as grubby theft online is to um, help dispel the slight... I think there is a bit of a stigma. If, you, if you've been scammed online, they will be very sophisticated. The way you know, they have recordings in the background that makes it sound like they're in a busy call centre or they send you a, an email or a message that looks incredibly um, sophisticated... And, and so there's a bit of stigma that you've been um, conned, that you've allowed yourself to be um, taken in by this. And we shouldn't have that stigma because the num you know, these people are extremely um, clever and focused on, on screwing money out of you, basically. And so you know, we've got to try and break that down. The other thing I should say, by the way, HMRC, 
never ever call you from an, an overseas uh, <coughs> centre. If you ever get a call from HMRC, HMRC claiming to be, you know, and they're somewhere overseas, that is not legitimate. So please don't give them your details. I completely agree with you about the stigma. I think you know, if someone breaks into your house through the window, right. you wouldn't have any hesitation in ringing the police. If someone breaks into your bank account, or the equivalent thereof, why would you be any less? You know, why should you be any less uh, likely to ring the police or fraud action? For me, the, the one cohort of people that we all think scams affect is other people. Um, it's, it's, it's old people or careless people or people who don't do enough checks. And that's the myth that I'd want to dispel. Under the fraud refund guarantee at TSB, we've refunded our customers from age 16 to 96 and, and every age in between. Everybody can fall victim to scams. And if you think you won't, then trust me, there is a scam out there for you. And, and, and at the right time and in the right situation, all of us can fall victim to these scams. They're really sophisticated. And that's why this is such an important topic that we, you know, we all should be interested in uh, making sure that um, banks, tech companies, government are doing something about it. Let's go to the audience. Uh, a few terms of engagement here. Um, we, uh, please stand up. Tell me uh, who you are, where you're from, uh, ask your question. You are welcome to give a speech if that speech is under 10 seconds <laughs> and it must end with a question to our panel. Um, start with the woman in the front row here, woman in the uh, purple uh, blazer here. I'm going to take a bunch of questions so our panel can pick and choose. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, Sophie de Schwarzberg-Gunter, it's a personal thing. I think that we need to educate more. We talked a lot about the banks and the platforms and what they have to do. And a fraud will always be with us. And so I think we need to start at school with financial planning and education and make fraud an integral part of that and say, this will happen to you. It will continue to evolve. I listened to Moneybox because of that, when I got that phone call saying, this is the police on my landline, you have fraud, I knew because I just listened to Moneybox that day that that was not them and I said, thank you very much, put the phone down and then called my card number on the back of my card from my mobile. I knew to do that because I listened to Moneybox. Not everybody does that. So I think we just need to make it everyday life and education from school up and be very overstressed. Such a great point, Sophie, if I may say. So there is a campaign called Don't Be Fooled running today in 300 schools. There are 20,000, so we've got way to go, but we're on it. We've designed the campaign. We're now running out across the school system. So completely agree. Yeah. Um, my name's Sue Kay from London. Um, I'm no longer online, and the scams that come to me are on the phone. Okay. And I know they're scams because HMRC... Uh, the uh, TV licensing and Amazon who tell me my account's been suspended when I haven't got one. <laughs> the only time that I was caught by a scam was where I didn't even know it was happening because it was a BT phone that was ordered online and the only information they had from me was my name and address. They used an email address which wasn't mine, a landline number that wasn't mine, and a mobile number that wasn't mine. And BT didn't do any checks at all, nor did they send me a letter saying, thank you for ordering this. It wasn't until I got home from a trip, found the bill for 1,200 pounds, and unraveled the whole thing. So BT were negligent, in my view, in not making any checks, not even writing to me saying, thank you for your first order. Just as a corollary to that, I happened to have this conversation about five years ago at party conference. And as I went out, somebody called me, and it was a chap who was the, a Mabel director at BT, responsible for security uh, affairs. He invited me up to BT's headquarters. I met the manager of this, that, and the other, and they told me what they'd done. The questions they had to answer to get the account were multiple choice that you could guess in a heartbeat. And they promised me they would have greater checks so that you couldn't do it. Whether they have or not, I don't know. But there should be checks that screen out the fraudsters and not ones that make it easy for them. By the way, they on the fake email address, they sent details of when the phone was going to arrive. And they stood outside my block, waiting, and the courier. They waited for the courier's van. They met the courier in the car park, said they were me, signed for it as me, and off they went. The checks were nil. Thank you. Can I take the lady behind her, please? And the man in the check jacket. 
thank you. It's Katie Watts. I represent Money Saving Expert, the website founded by Martin Lewis. So I've had engagement with everyone <coughs> on the panel on this issue and agree with a lot of the points that you've made. Um, obviously, we're just waiting royal assent on the online safety bill, which should help place some duties on some platforms, being careful with my words there, to prevent and take down scams. What would you like to see Ofcom include in those regulations that you feel would be robust enough to tackle tech firms' role in this? I mean, we could go on about this forever. Obviously, Martin Lewis, our founder, has been used a lot by scammers um, because of the trust that he has. But we certainly agree that if you are paid to publish an advert on your platform, you are responsible for it and you are a publisher. The short answer to that, if I can give you the answer to that, I think is... It, it, um... Sorry, just very quick. I'm going to want to take one more question okay. and then you can okay. pick and choose yeah, yeah, any sure. question you want to answer. Go um, I'm Adam Kent. I'm a cabinet member on the county council of Worcestershire and I'm dealing with a lot of resident fraud across the board from elderly people that have had people arriving in their house to set, help them set up online banking, intercepting Rolex watches that have been delivered, up to £100,000 taken from, from particular residents. But my biggest concern at the moment is Facebook Marketplace. I must have reported over 500 fraudulent sales of second-hand cars, boats priced at £69 and £89. They're deliberately underpricing items and they're taking over Facebook profiles of middle-aged people from 2008 who've got no followers, and I've reported three to 400 of these, and Facebook just comes back, they don't even remove the advert. You can find the same vehicle across multiple different Facebook profiles, and I'm sorry, it's not difficult to sort out. I could set up an organisation now, asking them for the bank details, and send the banks the details of the UK accounts they're using to launder this money. It needs to be stopped, and it needs to be stopped now, to actually sit here and say, oh yes, we're looking at it, we're going to have a policy document or whatever else. My residents are being robbed daily. It, we need to do something about it. Thank you very much. All right, wide range of questions there. Um, and panel, don't feel like you have to answer all of them. Take your pick. Uh, questions around education, uh, how we you know, make people far more aware of these scams. I'd extend that to starting young as well, because kids are online from a very young age now, mm -hmm. um, and, and how we have those conversations. Um, it isn't just because people are online, uh, to your point about phone scams, having very limited information, still being able to scam you. Uh, very um, important question there about Ofcom um, and uh, the online safety bill and what uh, our panel would like to see Ofcom regulate further. Um, to the gentleman's point in the back and your point about BT, we've, sounds like we've got a really good example there actually of BT being very accountable to you and Facebook being not so accountable to you. And that comes back to our point about what companies here can do. Um, so, Victoria, we'll start with you, mm. and uh, I'll take um, answers from all the panel. Well, I completely agree on the point about education. I think one of the reasons that the Prime Minister is so focused on uh, extending maths education for all to the age of 18 is to help us all understand not just APR rates and, and so on, but also just having a little bit more um, financial understanding so that when we're filling in application forms or indeed we're being bombarded with adverts, I'm hoping that that will be part of the discussion that we bring forward with education. And there is so much I know that UK Finance and others are doing to help with that in the short term. Um, I would also agree, actually, that uh, that is a great response from BT at, may I say, Conservative Party Conference, just showing how valuable it is to come to conference. Um, but the point about um, how the, the contrast between the response that you got from BT and the response from Facebook is something I know that uh, Bob is going to address. Um, but on the, th there's a wider point here about um, educating us all because you know we're the best one in the world. Once we leave school, we're uh, you know higher education. We're probably not going to be attending courses on um, money skills. This is where actually Martin Lewis and Money Saving Expert and Money Box and other other media groups such as that, organisations such as that, can really help education uh, educate the country on what we should be watching out for. Because as we keep saying, they are so sophisticated and they know where we might pick our weak spots. You know, HMRC when when we hear about customers, um, taxpayers being bombarded with uh, phone calls purporting to be from HMRC. The truth is they don't need to know whether or not you've got a difficulty with the tax man. They just need to get it right once. You know, they call hundreds of people and if one person thinks, oh gosh, actually I've got a 
got a disagreement with HMRC, they might just take that phone call and think, gosh, yes, I'm talking to the real organisation. So we've just got to be so, so careful about it. But I'll, I'll... Yeah, please, Bob. Uh, well, I'm, I've answered the education mm. question, can't comment on BT. Uh, on the other two uh, points, um, so Facebook Marketplace is one of those uh, platforms that currently doesn't do verification checks on the people advertising on its platform, and in my view, it should. And through the online fraud steering group and actually through direct approaches to very senior management at Facebook, we are pushing them hard to do it. Obviously, we need, uh, and I know the government is in tandem through through Tom himself at number 10 and through the fraud um, czar that works for the Prime Minister is also pushing them. So let's hope that over the next few months we see all the companies in the big tech space come up to the standards of the best and that would certainly include the one uh, you mentioned. Um, was there one other? There was one about um, online safety bill and offcoms. Oh yes, okay. Well the short answer to that I think is what would I like to see. So I would like to see the big techs um, regulated exactly the same way the banks are in relation to having a responsibility to stop fraud and joining in reimbursing when there is fraud because if they had to pick up part of the bill, I'm pretty sure they'd be more focused on stopping it in the first place. Richard? Um, so picking up the education one first, I mean, I think education is very important, but I think you probably can't rely on it wholly. Um, Fraud's about to get much more sophisticated as AI becomes more widespread. And I think relying on consumers to sort of unpick uh, some of what's coming in their direction is going to be um, a big challenge. Um, it's going to be a big challenge for regulators and policymakers and, and so on too. Um, I think on uh, Facebook and um, telecoms companies, I mean, the research we did, uh, what emerged for us out of it was actually the telecoms companies for a while, chided by Ofcom, have, have, have moved, or at least some of them have, moved, have done quite a lot in recent years to try and squeeze out some of the fraud. Um, again, on the banks, um, I think the banks have made... Uh, some of their big advances in recent years and building societies, partly because the bill's been coming in on uh, reimbursement. And so I think the theme here is that a bit of nudging from the regulators, feeling the financial pinch actually changes behavior. And I think to, uh, to agree with everybody else on the panel, I think um, that's probably where we're gonna have to go with the tech companies. Yeah, I mean, on, on telecommunications, the. One type of fraud we look at very closely is impersonation. And it used to be true that the most likely body to be impersonated was your bank. And most of those calls came through on your landline or possibly mobile phone with somebody pretending to be from your bank. That changed kind of overnight, I would say, um, thanks to, I think, two things. Firstly, I think the telcos have done a lot to stamp down on those calls. But secondly, we saw it shift, and it shifted to WhatsApp. And now the most likely person to be impersonated is a parent, and actually mums, weirdly. And so scams that start, hi, mum, and then I need money. And now the most uh, prevalent form of impersonation scam, that happens through WhatsApp. And that, again, points to me the importance of tech companies doing more um, to stop scams happening. And look, I, I completely agree with the remarks you make on Facebook Marketplace. It's awash with scams. I mean, I've used it myself, and it shows the ingenuity of the scammers. that They don't just stop at trying to scam people when you're looking to buy something. If you post something to sell, you're, there are people trying to scam you. I've done it myself in trying to sell things, uh, old bikes my kids have had, and I spend weeks batting off scammers. I literally think that platform probably has more scammers than genuine users, actually. Eventually, I found a nice chap who lived close to me who did buy the bike and made it all worthwhile. Um, but it, to me, it just points to the... The fact that not all platforms are like that. eBay isn't like that. We see hardly any purchase scams reported through eBay. Why? Because they vet users and they offer uh, users a safe way to pay, neither of which Facebook Marketplace do. And I think given the, the brains, the capability, and the investment that are available to Facebook, I just don't understand why they can't take those basic steps to, to better protect um, you know, your, uh, your uh, local residents and, um, and the UK consumers as a whole. Uh, we're going to take one more round of questions, but you must stick to my 10-second rule. Otherwise, our panelists are not going to have time uh, to come back. And please end in a question. So we'll take the woman in, in the third, fourth row here. We'll take both, both ladies here and the gentleman in the blue blazer here. Go ahead. Hi, thank you. Um, Nicola Sharp-Jeffs, the Chief Executive of the charity Surviving Economic Abuse. 
Um, I'm going to be talking or asking a question about the hidden victims of fraud. Um, so those who are experiencing um, fraud from an intimate partner. Um, just wanted to thank um, Vicky for all the work that she's done around economic abuse. I could not ask a question after her thanking TSB. I would also like to thank um, for the fantastic flea funds that you have in place for survivors, um, which is making a huge difference. Um, and also to Bob for the work that's been done within the working group at UK Finance and the Financial Abuse Code, which has created um, real consistency in terms of how banks and building societies respond to this particular issue. Just a slightly different question. Um, one of the things that we see um, is that banks and building societies don't talk about what they're doing to support victims and survivors of economic abuse because of fears of fraud. Um, and we find that that can be very difficult because it means victims and survivors won't come forward because they won't expect their bank or building society to do something. It means perpetrators are not aware that um, banks and building societies, the regulator, industry bodies have their eyes on them. And one of the big things is that they don't share best practice so I just wondered, whilst I absolutely appreciate we need to um, stop the fraud explosion, you know, how do we create a balance, I guess, where we can talk about issues, um, not through, or talk about them because we're not um, fearful of fraud. Um, and just to break down the stigma, I myself was a victim of fraud um, two weeks ago where I apparently spent £3,000 on seafood on behalf of the charity. So um, it really does impact us in our everyday lives. It really does, thank you. Uh, to the lady in the uh, grey blazer, please keep it very short. Hello, Elizabeth Mystery from Protect. Protect is the national whistleblowing charity, and whistleblowers are crucial in the fight against fraud. Um, they are the canary in the coal mine, or the canary in the Facebook marketplace, I guess, depending <laughs> on how you see it. Would the panel uh, look at possible reforms to the Public Interest Disclosure Act? They don't have to be major. We don't want to have a lot of red tape but would you look at reforms to improve protections for whistleblowers so they can continue to come forward, both in a corporate and in a consumer sense? Thank you. Last question. My question is very short and simple. We love to see it. Um, is action fraud uh, still fit for purpose? Does it employ enough people? I'm sorry, can you hold that slightly yes. closer? Sorry, maybe it's not working. Is, is, is action fraud... fraud action how many people do action fraud employ, and is it still fit for purpose? Thank you. Um, I'm going to let our panel take any question there that they want, and also please sum up one minute each. Richard, we'll start with you. Um, I'll pick on the action fraud one. Um, I think the short answer is no, uh, although it is about to go through, a, it's getting a big change uh, very soon, uh, if not already happened. So. I guess we have to wait and see how that, that plays out. But the track record is not, uh, not particularly great. Paul. Uh, so I agree on action forward, and, and we look forward to the reforms there. I think it's been poorly named in the past because it implied that action would be taken. I think, actually, it was a useful service for consumers to report fraud. And at, <laughs> in at action least fraud. Enable, uh, <laughs> at least enable law enforcement to then be able to take action. I think, look, on um, domestic abuse, TSPs... Um, obviously very proud of the work that we've done. We, we, we agree with you, actually. We do think it's an important topic to talk about. It's a complex issue, um, and uh, one that my team in, in the fraud department work on um, you know, daily, and uh, I think you know, more needs to be done there to, to raise awareness so that victims are able to speak out and get the help that they need. Thank you, Bob. Well, I'll, I'll pick up on the lady. Thank you for your thanks. I will pick up on your suggestion. I don't know the answer to that, but let me look at it. I'm sure there is a balance between not wanting to encourage people to commit more fraud and making sure we look after those that have been subject to fraud. But I will look at that and, uh, and think about it. Thank you. And then, uh, Vicky, I know economic abuse is, is, a, is something that you're very passionate about tackling and also maybe a comment on, on whistleblowers, those who are highlighting where fraud is taking place. Yeah, sure. So um, I have uh, tried to really bolster the treasury machinery into thinking about economic abuse. So obviously, we look at all the macroeconomic priorities, halving inflation, growing the economy, reducing debt. That's three out of the five I've got right, um, but five priorities. But uh, I actually want to bring a more human uh, element to treasury work as well, which is why we're focusing on economic abuse. Um, UK finance is being brilliant in this regard, as is TSB and other banks and the FCA. In fairness, this is a really good example of where the best banks are really um, pulling uh, other banks that perhaps aren't quite so quick, haven't been quite so quick to get there, pulling them all up. So I'm really excited by what uh, the UK finance industry is seeking to do to help 
um, victims and survivors. And of course, the, if a victim or survivor of domestic abuse is also a victim of theft or uh, misrepresentation by their abuser, that is an additional layer of uh, incredible distress and stigma. So it's very, very complex. But I think the wider piece of work on how we can conduct that very difficult balancing act between giving them the information they need as opposed to giving fraudsters and perpetrators an, an insight into what we're doing, that is something across the board we're going to have to look at very carefully because we know that fraudsters will take every opportunity they can to be very sophisticated. Uh, in, in the way that they, tack, they try to steal money from us. It, on the whistleblower's point, I'm, I, I'm going to take that away if I may. Uh, that will be for Tom to look at, but it's a very fair point that, of course, uh, if people are brave enough within uh, an industry or within an occupation to explain what they think is happening in their workplace, then that is something that we need to look at very, very carefully indeed. So thank you for raising that. Thank you so much to our audience for your fantastic questions. Thank you again to TSB for making this panel possible. Uh, but the biggest thanks goes to our panel, to uh, Paul, to Victoria, to Bob, and to Richard. Thank you so much for your contributions. Um, yes, join me in thanking them in the usual way. Thank you.